Well, hello everybody. It's Witchy Bites, and hey. I'm not alone this month. Welcome back, Hanny. Thank you. I'm back. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, I will actually be able to say I'm a qualified teacher. Woo! I have some stuff being marked at the moment, so it's not quite official yet. But hopefully, so that's what I've been doing. I've been away becoming a teacher, not as not a classroom teacher, like a. a a vocational education teacher, so what I've been doing. <laughs> I'm so glad it's over. My God. <laughs> well, we're back. Episode 19. Yay. Woo. Can you believe we've been doing this over a year now? No. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So what have you been, other than studying like crazy, have you been up to anything pagan-esque? It's been a bit of, it's been an interesting time like balancing the study with the with my pagan interests I've been trying to I've been trying to like keep up my self-care and 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 put in more effort to keep up my routines so not overly witchy like I haven't been able to to do any kind of rituals or anything like that but I've been trying to you know keep journaling and writing down my dreams where I can and meditating and that kind of thing and it's I've put a lot of effort into trying to do that mm-hmm. and it, it has helped a lot. It has meant that I haven't had time to do other things as much, but now the study's over, it was it was worth it. It kept my head a bit balanced, but I really had to to pick and choose what I could do. Yeah. A few family events that I didn't get to go to, that kind of thing. But it's it was it was worth it. If I get through, you will. If I get marked on everything, you will. Um, so far, so good. I haven't had to to redo anything because you get with the tape system. You get a, a like a. It's not like uni. You get a second try and a third try. So that's nice. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I'm not used to it because I'm so used to university study. It's mm. like, what do you mean? I can like redo this little bit and then I can pass. <laughs> what? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, so not a lot of like overtly witchy things. Um, but yeah, trying to keep the self-care happening and I feel like pushing through and getting that done has really like k- trying to keep do keep doing that has really helped me and mm-hmm. I think that's you know really helped too. Things have been happening and and I've been having some awesome experiences but yeah, I have to digest them first before I can talk about them on the mm-hmm. podcast, I think. Yeah. Get my head in, in 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 the right spot. But yeah, it's it's I'm glad it's over. The study. <laughs> I hate studying. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever I'll, I don't know if I'll ever do it again unless I don't like I could do it without working. Mm. That would be like a dream. Just pick something I'm really interested in. I'm gonna go and study like anthropology for three years. Yeah. So it won't, won't happen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What have you been doing? Um, so I told the people out in the real world, out in podcast world, that I got a message at Litha um, at Midsummer about about where I need to head with my practice. That seems to keep popping up as a theme in my life and even – I was on TikTok and someone was doing uh, live readings and I got them to pull a card for me and it came out as the earth card and I was like, okay, I get it. I've got it. Stop okay. shoving it down my throat. It's okay. I realise. 
Don't you love it when it's like, here's a subtle hint and you go, oh, okay, yep, okay. And then you're sort of mulling it over and then hardly any time later it's like, here's another subtle, less subtle hint. You're like, okay, yep, I'm okay with that. And then it's like, here, I'm shoving in your face, do something. And you're like, okay, yes, I get it, but I'm still, you know, I have to come to terms with this. Like I'm figuring it out. But I have heard you, honestly. <laughs> and she was, and the person was like, "Yeah, you've just got to, you've got to get out into nature. Like, I don't know where you live, but you've got to like physically get out into nature, and you know, spend time, and blah blah blah, and and um, get back to basics, and all that kind of stuff." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." No, I didn't say that. I, said, <laughs> I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> Internally, you're like, "Yes, spirit, thanks for you know, throat shoved into." Yep, great, I'm and getting it. I picked the ancestor deck. She had five decks you could pick from and I chose uh-huh. the ancestor deck and I was like yeah, okay so yeah so that was fun uh, um so that kind of rolls into my topic today because uh I'm talking about forest bathing Ooh, yeah I don't know too much about forest bathing so I'm quite like I've read about it I've read the term but I haven't like you've read books and stuff I've read <laughs> I've short read a book <laughs> I've read a short article and I have a book somewhere that I would really like to read but I haven't yet because I have a million books I haven't read so I'm quite excited for forest bathing. Um, I am doing a sort of introduction to herbalism. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't actually know a huge amount about herbalism. Like it's, it's I know what it is, but I haven't, you know, made too many recipes or done anything like that. But I wanted some really simple stuff to start off with, and some as jargon-free things to do as I could find, and it was actually a little bit difficult, so I thought I'd put together, I did find a few lists of different things and I've got some online resources, so I'll get a list together and we'll put it into the show notes or mm, sounds good. maybe on our Facebook page or something like that. Yes. Well, I, I've set us up a blog now. There's no posts on there yet, but... So don't go looking for it. <laughs> so we'll put it in some places. I'll put the list together because... None of this is my original ideas. <laughs> if it is, I'll tell you. It all comes from different places. Just a bit of Googling. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, who wants to go first? I think I always make you go first, so I'll go first. Okay. I titled this So You Want to Be a Herbalist when actually I want to be a herbalist. So I want to be a herbalist. What do I do? <laughs> the first thing I want to say is... <sighs> This drives me nuts, and I know it's just accents and, like, different um, colloquialisms in different places, but we do say a herbalist or a herb. I know in other places they say an herb and an herbalist, but it's just because of how different people talk. We pronounce the H, so I will. So I'll be saying herb. And you can laugh all the way through it every time you say it. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. You can laugh at me all you want because when, when I hear herbalist I also laugh so there we go now it's my turn (laughs) I've looked into herbalism a few times and different herbs and and, you know different courses and things like that and often even real basic stuff would start with a bit of jargon and I found that kind of confusing and difficult and just a bit off-putting because it'd say it was for beginners but it would have you know different terms that I didn't know so I'd spend half my time googling and I found that kind of frustrating. And I also found that, like, I wanted something about, I don't know, connecting with the spirit of plants and, you know, working with them in a, a more metaphysical way. And often that 
like that was also harder to find. You know, there's obviously the real mundane uses, medical uses of herbs and things like that. And while I was interested in that, that wasn't my main focus. And finding stuff around that, like it was easy to find medical courses, but not so much metaphysical. So I thought I'd try and find a few different things for you starting out metaphysically working with herbs. Yeah. Because that was what I wanted. Another thing I didn't like was it doesn't take much to, to th- when you're thinking about like ingesting herbs or putting them on your skin or your face or anything like that, that you have to have there's safety precautions. And a lot of people didn't point that out at the beginning. They were like, just start, pick a recipe and go off and do it when I felt that that was kind of unsafe. Like the, the safety stuff will come at the end instead of the beginning and I thought that was a little bit, it wasn't the best way to go about it. The most safe way. <laughs> the most safe way, yeah. So like I have a lot of health issues, as probably I've talked about before, and, you know, I take some medications. And I, when I started thinking about it for more than like five minutes, I'd go, well, will this interact with the medicine I take or will, you know, will I have some kind of weird allergic reaction to something that most people find really safe? But I thought... Those things needed to be said at the beginning oh, pardon me, of blog posts or, you know, um, podcast episodes or things like that, and they weren't really, and I thought that was a bit, I didn't like it. I thought it was a bit unsafe. I sometimes, it makes me think about how when I was a child I used to just eat random flowers of trees, and I still don't know how I'm alive because like surely I must have just had some like luck in not eating things that were doom. <laughs> I don't know. Be like, what does this flower taste like? And num, I just num, num. pick oh. it and eat it. <laughs> I like this one. Mm. <laughs> there was a white flower that tasted pretty good. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> don't do what Liz did <laughs> as a child. Cause it's bad. <laughs> I looked up a few different resources, a few different blogs and podcasts and things like that. I found a couple of really good online resources, which, yes, we'll we'll post. I'll make a list and we'll put it everywhere. (laughs) But I found a few lists of, like, really simple things to do that I thought would be good when you know nothing about herbs in any way. You may have read a book or two or, me, like me, a few articles. But you just want to have a go at different things And not necessarily just follow a recipe that you don't really understand how it works, but you want to get more into the metaphysical kind of aspect and how you can connect with the energy of plants and things like that. Most of it's probably really simple. And if, you know, you might have thought of this before, but I hadn't put the two things together. Like I hadn't put, oh, you can do this to connect with the energy of plants. I would have thought about it in ways of connecting with, say, animal energies. Okay. So it's more... Not that plants are inanimate, but not so much, not so animated as animals, I suppose. Yeah, the interaction's a little more subtle. Yes. Yeah. And so there's yeah, just some ideas and some lists of things that you can do to to have those kinds of interactions and see if you want to get into some serious study mm-hmm. or yeah, do a course or anything like that. I found a really cool um, definition for herbalism, which is the art of bringing the body into balance using the therapeutic properties of plants, Ooh, which I thought was kind of cool, and that's from Moody Moons. And they had 10 tips for beginning herbalists at, um, on this blog. 
while that was the title of the blog post, it was more a more foraging kind of thing. So if you wanted to forage wild herbs or wild plants, this was more a beginning list of things to do for that. I thought it was a pretty good list and I thought it'd, if you wanted to get into any kind of like herbalism or plant magic, I suppose, in general, this would be a good place, like a good list of things to start with. They also had their safety stuff at the end, which was kind of annoying, but we'll go through their list. So the first thing was um, they said start local. Go out and look at plants in your garden or your local area. They were saying more about going out into like bushland or woods but start in your garden. Start with what's around you. So it was more about having a look at what's actually right where you are. So go out, take a walk, look at what's in your area and take some photos. Be careful with like touching and smelling things because even some plants, if you really don't know what it is, even that can be a bit dangerous. Box of Oddities did an episode where just standing under a tree can kill you in Africa, I think it was. Don't stand under trees. <laughs> Don't stand under any trees if you live in Africa or... I can't. Not in South America. I think it was Africa. Okay. Don't stand stand under trees if you live anywhere in the world. Go listen to that episode. It's great. I mean, I suppose that's the main thing. Like if, if, you know, if there's heaps of pollen falling off a tree, maybe don't go stand under it. Yeah. You might be allergic to it. Like you just don't think of those things as someone who... I want to get out in nature more, but, you know, sometimes I just can't because of what's going on, like work and living in the city and all that kind of thing. But just... You don't have to go far. You can do it in an urban environment. You can do it in an urban environment. Like, be safe. Don't eat stuff. (laughs) And don't... Be careful with getting it on your hands as well. Like, I'm a great one for going up and touching everything Mm -hmm. and then getting allergic to things. So don't do that. But you don't have to go out into the wilderness to do this. You can start out, just go and take some pictures of the plants in your area. It could be everybody might know what this plant is, but you don't. So just go and take some pictures and take pictures from different angles and you could also, like if you have drawing skill of any kind, you could draw the the plants. Um, Leaves and flowers and, like, if it's a tree, like the shape of the – the overall shape of the tree can help you identify it. And that was, like, their first few points was – so start local, take a walk, get out into nature near to you and then verify. They said verify, verify, verify. Take note of where the plant is, what it looks like, the shape the shape of it, maybe what it smells like without getting too close um, and then take all your information back and then find out what it is. They suggested looking in books. The information can be relied on. There are lots of apps. If you're in, if you are going to school or college or anything like that, even if it's not, the area that you're studying, your school or college could definitely have online resources that you could log into to help you identify plants. The The institution I work for has, because we teach um, horticulture classes, all of the students have access to plant ident- like a plant identification website that has thousands and thousands of plants. The University of Tasmania has a, um, a key that's freely available online of native plants. So um, that's cool. while yeah. it's relevant to Tasmania and some of the mainland, it's, yeah, mm. like just have a look on university websites as well. They may have yeah. something like that. Yeah, so even if you're not studying, there's, yeah. there's heaps of resources out there to help you identify. Because it's not so niche as a witchy or metaphysical thing like the identification, you can get stuff everywhere. Make sure it's... Reliable, again, safety, 
if you're going to do anything with these plants, you've got to make sure you know what it is. And some some plants, it was pointed out, some plants can, I can't remember which one it was because it was something that grows in the US, but there's like three different plants that are very similar, like their leaf shape, and all of them are considered weeds or like invasive species over there. And they all look very much the same. One is like highly poisonous and like the other two you can eat. So please verify anything before you do anything, even touching it. Don't be like me. <laughs> um, another place you can look at for information is local parks and wildlife services. So for your state or your county or your area, go and go to their website. Go in and talk to people in the office if, if there's a local branch and it's not COVID restrictions <laughs> for you at the moment. Please follow all COVID restrictions in your area. But, yeah, they also have a lot of information and some um, museums have services where you can take specimens in and get them identified Wow, as well. That's cool. So I heard about this when I was doing a placement for my university studies and the Melbourne Museum has an identification service as well. I don't know if they'd like you taking in really common species, but they do offer that service. might take them a little while to get back to you, but if you see anything really unusual, like you're doing this for a while and you see something odd or you see a really odd insect, you can take some pictures and send it in to them and they'll identify it for you. And even on, um, mm. like, of course you'll have to not be, you have to be question your sources, but yes. um, on Facebook there are groups that will help you identify plants and animals and things like that. So, But, of course, be careful because yeah. you don't know if someone is an expert in that topic, but they could at least point you in the right direction. And even if they said, you know, it's this, you could go and look into that, like, yeah. oh, it's this kind of plant you could find out. Yeah. Like if you have a lead, which I think is one part of the reason why I'm really interested in, it's like the puzzle of it. Like uh, what is this plant? The investigation. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Okay, so the next thing are the two Ps, pesticides and pollution. This is um, just about identification. So if you are going to collect any kinds of, of parts of a plant, be aware of where it is. If it's close to a main road, it can be edible, but it will probably also be full of pollution. Like mm. it will be exposed to car fumes and that kind of thing. So, yes, I suppose you could wash whatever you get and, of course, you're going to. But be, but what about the ground it's growing in mm. as well? So I wouldn't suggest taking any even like maybe for identification purposes you could take a bit of a plant from a roadside but if you're going to use it for anything it's basically useless mm -hmm. so go away from anywhere where you could get pollution of any kind and pesticides even people's yards so it might not be in the person's yard but their yard could be adjacent to a piece of bushland which is is near to my house there's some bush with and people's yards are right there <laughs> but if they use roundup or anything like that in their garden well, it could get out. So if it's growing quite close to someone's yard, it might not be might not be the best place to collect plants for, the, for that use. And I'll just add that um, uh, councils, particularly yep. in Australia, they spray. Um, oh yeah. So and they do just spray things like blackberries on the side of the road. So you do want to be careful. Yeah, totally. And even like, yes, you can wash it off, but what if it's growing in something and it gets into the plant that way? Yeah. So be really aware of where you're going. 
to identify plants, yeah, it's great. Like take some pictures, do some drawings, be really safe if you're being near a road personally, but maybe don't collect there to consume or even to put on your face or your skin because it, the, the, the toxins can still get out. And I suppose that's part of your identification. Like be aware of where your stuff's coming from. Their next tip from Moody Moon was to grow. Grow stuff. Most herbs are easy to grow. Easy to kill. And easy to kill, <laughs> especially if you plant it out and native animals get in and eat it to a stick. <laughs> Even rosemary, which supposedly is quite strong and has a very strong taste, especially for native animals, but they'll still eat it to a stick. Someone like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story. Um, my mother gave Liz a lovely little rosemary bush and she put it out in her yard and it grew quite well and then it got eaten. Yep. Yep. Something ate it to a stick. <laughs> something with a really strong stomach <laughs> the interesting thing with their tip of grow stuff was that they said if there's a weed that grows around you and you identify it as something that um, you could use why not try to grow it in your yard oh. which i thought was really interesting be cautious doing that in australia because i know there are some quite pretty lovely plants that you should not be growing, like mm. they're what is invasive species and you'll mm-hmm. get into trouble mm-hmm. if it's seen growing in your yard. Mm-hmm. However, again, look, maybe look on council websites. They have information about the invasive species that you shouldn't grow and most of them are not things you're going to want to eat or like consume in any way. So things like dandelions, stuff like that, yeah, they're a pain, but you could easily grow them. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to use dandelion, which you can, or stinging nettle, nettles, mm. they're quite a common thing in herbalism. Like there's a lot of uses for nettles. You can, I think you can do something to the leaves to get the spiky horribleness off them and then they're quite a good thing to use and they grow everywhere. But it can have a bunch of uses. Essentially that's all mm. a weed is, is an annoying plant. So. It's a plant planted. <laughs> well, I read it, I read someone say a weed is just a plant that's growing in the wrong spot. That's exactly what a weed is, yeah. So <laughs> as long as it's not an invasive species if you're here in Australia, mm. um, especially Tassie, yeah, if it grows elsewhere mm. and you think you can use it, A, someone would probably be really happy if you pull weeds out of their garden if you ask their permission. Don't pull from wheat from roadsides, same as we said before, but you could easily grow it. So, yeah. like, you know, grab some dandelion flufty heads and see if you can get them to grow in a certain spot in your yard because you'll end up with millions of them. Woohoo! So, yeah, growing, grow weeds. The next tip was to start small. I am a terrible person for wanting to do every single thing under the sun straight away when I find something that really interests me. But just start with one plant. So, yeah, you found out that nettles are a really good thing to use and you've looked up a few things. You know that you want to use them regularly, so try growing nettles. And just grow nettles for a little while. Trust me, you'll be able to. But don't don't go too big. You don't have to. Don't go you don't have to go to a nursery, spend heaps of money on little seedlings and have 10 different kinds of herbs if you don't want to. If you do, good on you, but that is not something that I can do. Just try one herb or, you know, one thing at a time. You don't have to go all out straight away. So start small. You can also use pots. Just grow one thing Mm. in a pot. Trust me, nettles will grow anywhere. So will dandelions. Pots are a great idea. Mm, mm, Yeah. So just start small. Start with one thing. 
The next tip that they had was drying, curing, and storing. So once you've grown something successfully or unsuccessfully, (laughs) or you find someone else has a surplus of whatever herb you'd like, you'd like to use, figure out how to grow it, figure out how to store it, dry it and cure it. Um, Most herbs have quite a short lifespan. They don't grow for very long or they grow for a really short season and then they're gone. So drying them is a way to extend, you know, your usage of the plant. It also means that if you get a surplus of nettles or dandelions, you can use them later. The last two tips that they had were, um, again, a safety thing. If, if in doubt about anything that you're going to do with your, about the identification of your plant, the use of your plant, you know, where it's growing, if it's too close to the road, just, just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Keep away, keep safe. Um, just because something's natural doesn't mean it's automatically safe. Cyanide and arsenic are natural substances that are found in different plants, but you don't want to be eating a heap of them. And finally, like protect what you love. So if there's an area that you go to to collect wild plants and you really like it, do what you can to protect it. it even if that's just donating a little bit of money to a local organisation, that's still helping out. So if you find that there's an area that you love and you you want to protect it. So there's a few organisations that do that kind of thing here in Australia. Land Care is one. Um, there's also Coast Care. There's a, a variety of different care organisations that do different things with the, with the land and, and preservation. So look them up in your local area and, and if there's a place that you love, yet protect it. Now, I've got another list, and this one's from Healing Harvest Homestead, and this is more of more closely related to herbalism. So this is more not just foraging, this is make medicines and things like that. Her first piece of advice was just to start, which I did not like. She just said, find a recipe, find a book, and just go for it. Make, make a recipe, you know, make a salad or something like that, and then just use it. I didn't like that piece of advice, but I understood where she was coming from. So you can read as much as you like and look into things as much as you like. That's me. <laughs> I'm really terrible for doing that. Like I'll read until like I think I know everything and haven't done anything practical. So, yeah, I get it. But just, again, be really careful. Like there are some herbs and things that are typically really safe. Say lavender. Most people can use lavender. But just... If you're going to make something, like follow the recipe exactly, be careful, do a little, like if it's something you put on your skin, do a spot check, like a patch test as they say. Make sure you're not going to have some crazy allergic reaction. And if you're going to be doing a lot of stuff and you have health conditions, maybe go to your doctor, check out your medications. You have to do your research beforehand. So, yes, just start is a great piece of advice, but be careful. The next piece of advice was experiment, which I also liked and understood, but, again, just be careful and do little experiments for, like, you know, you put different scents together and smell them and see what they smell like. If, you know, aromatherapy is also a big part of it. So maybe don't just eat a whole bunch of herbs and see if they kill you, but put different smells together, like maybe make potpourri and, and see how that goes. So, yes, experiment and actually do practical things, but be careful. Their next piece of advice was to build a library and actually use it. 
which after the first two, I was like, yes, library, build a library. Yep. Okay. I'm, she's great now. I'm, I'm going with this. <laughs> You're like, I've done this. Next step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but yeah. So get your hands on some resources, some references and use them. There's a few gr- really great free herbals available online so you can look at like four or five hundred pages worth of different plant profiles online for free and i'll put a list of those or a place to look at a list of those in the notes after that she got to the advice is good but it's a bit more after you've gotten started so the next piece of advice was to organize your herbs and keep them organized label all the jars alphabetize your jars and think about storage and shelving Which is good. Perfect for librarians. And, yeah, again, I really like that. (laughs) And if you get really into it, yeah, you'll probably have to think of those things almost straight away. But, you know, if you're just starting out and you've got, say, half a dozen herbs, you're probably not going to have to think about alphabetizing them on your shelf. A, F. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Yes. But, yeah, like if if you really think you're going to get serious, think about where you're going to put everything because, I mean, your herbs are going to last. It said most dried herbs last about a year. Wow, I didn't realise yeah. it was that long. Yeah, so this lady said that most of the stuff lasts about a year from when you make, like prepare it or buy it. Um, I didn't think they'd last that long. Generally, I know some things do not last that long. Some things last weeks and then they're just they're not as good. And if you make a preparation, especially one with alcohol, which I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a few preparations that will last a few years. Oh, so when like tinctures pretty, and things like that. Yeah, if it's got alcohol, it will last like wow. three or four, I think it said. Okay. Again, do your research. And other things, um, glycerates, don't quote me on that, they'll, they'll last two years. So if it's prepared in a way, it'll last a bit longer wow. with without doing anything to it, supposedly. Mm. This is just what I read, mm. which I thought was really cool. So you could buy some herbs and you'll use a little bit and then, you know, if you don't use it for another six months, it should still be okay to use. I don't know. This would have to be something you'd need to experiment with, like the the the, the potency of the plant. So if you'd you'd gotten it and you'd dried it, and you'd collected it a year ago, I don't know if if the the metaphysical properties, like it, the energy of the plant, would ever weigh. You'd have to see. But for edible slash medical purposes. Dried herbs will last about a year. Her next piece of advice was buy the best quality that you can if you're going to buy. Organic, obviously, is better in her opinion. Freshest is bestest. So the the fresher you can get, the better. (laughs) But, yeah, you can dry Mm -hmm. and they will last a little while too. She also suggested, like, if, if you buy a bunch of basil, basil from, say, a supermarket, you're never going to use the whole bunch, so... Dry it. Hang it up and dry it. Drying herbs, some of them are really easy to dry. You just bundle them up and, like, hang them up in your kitchen, which is the very stereotypical witch's kitchen with all the bundles of herbs, which I love that idea. (laughs) Can I ask a question about that? Yes. Um, So food dehydrator, is that a good way to dry herbs? I didn't see anyone say anything like that. They just talked about drying them. The stuff I've read just said hang them up. Yeah. You could probably easily find that out, but I did not find that out. Okay, cool. Yes, I yeah, I have a food dehydrator, and I it would be very easy for me just to do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, another thing which I didn't write down, but I just thought of: if you use 
like a, any kind of food implement, say a grater or a coffee grinder to grind up herbs or anything like that, keep it separate from your food ones because mm. it can be bad. I bought ages ago and I put it away and I don't know where it is now, but I brought a coffee grinder for herbs. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And it said, yeah, definitely keep them separate because no matter how well you clean your implements, some of them you won't want to eat. You won't want to ingest even a small bit of what you're doing, especially if you're doing like magical. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Because you won't, yeah. You don't want to contaminate the magic with old remnants of magic. But you also don't want to eat it afterwards. So if you use a cheese grater, you don't use a cheese grater, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you, you won't want to be eating like, I don't know, wormwood or something that you've been grinding <laughs> up in your mortar and pestle. And then it's like, oh, yeah, wormwood, this is a great idea. Hallucinogen, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, some people might think that's a great idea, but don't do it. No, we're not suggesting that at all. <laughs> so keep your implements separate. And I mean, you know, you, you and other things I read said you don't you don't need heaps of stuff. Mm. You don't need the coffee grinder to grind up herbs. But it helps because it sucks doing it from a mortar and pestle. Yes, it does. <laughs> Anyone who does that, hats off to you because goddamn, I can't. I can't. I don't have the patience. I don't to have do that. the patience. A couple either. of times I've done it. No. So. Keep them separate. So have like a li- maybe a little grater if you wanted, um, bowls and things like that. Even really simple implements. If you're doing magical stuff where you might be using things that are actually a bit poisonous because you can use them magically, just don't put them on yourself or in your person. Yeah, keep them mm. separate because you'll poison yourself and I'm not being responsible for that. Use separate things. <laughs> the next piece of advice is to research what you use. I was upset that that was number six. Please research before you use anything after she'd said, just start an experiment, but we're moving on from that. As you're going through and looking at different herbs, you'll come across like a sort of set lot of information called plant profile. And it was suggested to make like a set of these for yourself. So create your own materia medica. That just means healing materials, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. Um, so you read that term everywhere. Don't ask me to say it again because I don't think I pronounced it right. So plant profiles basically. So as you look into the uses of plants, like there's a lot of really famous herbals like um, Culpepper, Nicholas Culpepper from the 1600s. He wrote a herbal that is in a way, in some ways still used, probably not for some of the medical stuff. But um, it's freely available online. There's also a lady called, no, name has gone. It'll be in the notes. And I think her name's Rosemary, but I can't remember her second name. Her name's Rosemary. Yeah, no. Maybe Rosemary Glades. Please tell me she picked that name and it wasn't assigned at birth. That's amazing. No, no. That was was her name. She was, like, destined to become a herbalist. But some of her material is available freely online, like her her, um, herbals and her plant profiles. She also has courses that you can pay for, but she has some free stuff as well. And, like, people talk, everyone talked about her. There was also a gentleman who was mentioned a lot, and I can't remember his name either, and all of his material was available online and he had trained like a few people who were now quite respected in, in the herbalism community in the US, in some of the states over there. And all of his stuff, he has since passed away only a few years ago and all of his stuff is now just online, freely available. Wow, so he released it. Yep. Wow. All of it. <laughs> That's so cool. 
No mm. waiting so many years after his death. Nope, nope. He was just like, no, nah, it's all just going out. And, I mean, there's some there's some courses that are run that are based on his material that you can do for a fee, mm-hmm. which I didn't look into the price or anything like that. But, like, his plant profiles, his herbal books are all free cool. at a certain spot. Cool. Which, again, we'll put in the show notes. There was so much stuff. The best way to learn is through practical experience. That was, like, a big thing. Everyone said, just, just have a go. Be safe, though, is my caveat to that. So just get out there and, and be with a plant. See what it does. Read a little bit about it and then go out into the wilds or into your garden and see what it's about. From spiralnature.com, an important point that she raised was for her as a pagan, working with plants was more about was about more than just what the plant could do. So it wasn't just this plant does this, this herb cures that, this herb does, you know, helps with this, this herb helps with that. Like it's it's for her it was about building a relationship with the plant. And I thought that was really important and that was that was what I wanted. I wanted some information about how to do that. Unfortunately, she didn't go into it too much, but I did find something that did. Another really interesting point, if you don't have anywhere, like if you don't have a garden, if you live in an apartment, go to your local botanical gardens. These are big gardens that are run by the government or the, the state or the council in your area and they will have like huge numbers of different plants planted out and you can just go for free and look at them and they will have information about the plant and they'll tell you if you can't touch it or smell it. Mm, there's warnings. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, you can go there. I know there's a big herb garden here mm. in Tassie in the Royal Hobart Botanical Garden. There was. And you could just go in there and, like, smell it and touch it. I wouldn't taste it. But, yeah. And there's little signs that tell you all about it. So you could go there. Um, one of the herbalists I read about, um, and that's what she suggested. She said go to go to your local botanical gardens or nurseries. Oh. So while the nurseries might not have as much information about the properties of the plant and they might not say don't touch this one because you could be allergic like they do at the botanical gardens, there'll still be information. So you can go there and loiter and maybe not crush too many leaves in the nursery, but you can go into the botanical gardens and there'll be information there. There'll be people there you can talk to. There's usually like an information centre and you can get free information from there and you can actually interact with the plant safely because if you're not supposed to touch it, someone will rush over and go, oh, my God, don't touch it, (laughs) almost straight away because there's people everywhere. Um, Again, if you can't because of COVID, apologies, but I thought this was a really great idea. Yeah, it's Which not I hadn't a, thought of, yeah. It's not a bad idea really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they have like really common plants right through to really exotic ones obviously out of botanical gardens, but they also have quite common ones and you can just go there and be like, oh, this is what mint looks like. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. My last thing I'm going to talk about is one of my favourite resources that I found and this is called, it's called... Um, the Plant Ally Project 30-Day Challenge, and it's by Wharton Cunning Apothecary by Alexis. Um, I love her blog. She has lots of free stuff. She's very giving with her information and she's quite easy to contact. At this very moment, early February when we're recording, she's on a hiatus. Mm-hmm. She's taken a good long break, which she deserves because that woman works so hard. 
Um, she puts a lot of effort into all of her offerings that she has online and she has so much information available on her blog. So this was a project that she put together and it's just it's just a post on her blog which we will put in um, the show notes. It's basically just 30 little exercises over one each day for you to connect with one specific plant, which I really liked. It's very, it's also magical and mundane. There's 30 different exercises and they start out with setting intentions. You choose your plant. You learn the Latin name and folk name of the plant. So they're quite simple. Some of them are, are a bit more in depth, but I liked that this list had connecting with the plant on, on like the spiritual plane, I suppose. So one of the exercises was um, you meditated with your plant. So one of those, you just sat even for a few minutes with, with either a part of your plant or you visualised your plant and you just connected with it. Another of the exercises was called plant personalities. So after you'd learned a little bit about what kind of person would need this kind of plant, you put together like a profile of the person. So if it helped with, I don't know, depression, say, amongst other things, you could talk about what kind of person would need it and also what the plant was like if it was a person. Uh, I love doing that. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool and it helped you connect to the plant in a different way. So I really like this list. I won't go through them all because this isn't my list. I didn't put it together. But I really liked the, this list. So it's the Plant Ally Project 30-Day Challenge by Wart and Cunning Apothecary. Uh, we'll put a link to it. I am going to start with, with that. That sounds so, really cool. Yeah, so it's just 30 days and, yeah, it starts really simple, like setting an intention for your 30-day challenge right through to um, like making a charm using your plant ally. Ooh. Yeah, so lots of different things, lots of a few magical things, a few really like mundane things. And, yeah, connecting with the plant's spirit, like having it as an ally, mm-hmm. which I really liked. I just liked that So it sort of changed how I thought about working with plants. So it was about meeting the plant where the plant is and it becoming your ally in magic, and I liked that. What are you going to choose? I'm going to choose rosemary. Oh, that makes sense. Rosemary is such a great plant. I actually went and asked my mum, do we have a rosemary plant? And she was like, yeah, we've got two, one growing in a pot so I can meditate with it and take it anywhere and one growing out where we have two of our cats buried. So because for remembrance. So I do know that about rosemary. Cool. So I'm going to start with rosemary. Although I went out and, like, I I got a bit of the rosemary from the ground that to um just to have on my altar and I got allergic almost straight away. I hope it wasn't rosemary itself because that sucks. <laughs> my, my 30 days might become, like, two. <laughs> You'd be like, I'll be doing the book stuff for more than mm. I had planned. Yes. Or pick a different plant. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that, yeah. yeah, that's why I have to check. Yeah. So that's that's my topic. That was really interesting, Hannah. Um, oh, good. I'm glad. I didn't um, – there were things there that I didn't know about herbalism because, you know, I've joked about killing every plant I've ever had, which is not quite true. It's very easy when you start out. Mm. So I guess, like, related to your topic, I'm actually – because I'm talking about forest bathing. Yes. So forest bathing is a type of nature therapy or ecotherapy. 
And the idea around it is that uh, a person's relationship with nature, if there's intention behind it, can help improve mental or physical health. Now, we kind of mm. do this already as pagans. Like one of our, I, I guess, nature therapies is grounding. Like, you know, yeah. we, we touch the ground after a ritual to help drain out the extra energy or if we're feeling a bit scattered, we might ground to try and, you know, bring things back into alignment. Yeah. And so forest bathing is just another type of therapy to help with that. There's a bit more being done around the, the science of it and seeing some trends with cool. how it actually helps our physical and our uh, mental health. So a common name for forest bathing is shinrin yoku, which is a Japanese word for forest bathing. Um, it Does was- it literally mean forest like bathing or bathing or yeah, so shinrin means forest mm-hmm. and yoku. It's kind of it means bathe, like kind of, but it also has this like separate mm-hmm. meaning of to receive an honor of. So like to receive That's the cool. honor of the forest, but also to bathe within that that, that space. Makes sense. Yeah, it it is also like um to receive like the respect of. Yeah. 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 I had another word and now it's gone. <laughs> but that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah to receive the honour of the yeah. forest. That's yeah. cool. I like that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, cool. I, I kind of lean towards that one too, you yeah. know, as yeah, a yeah, pagan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so it's a term that was coined in the 1980s, I think 1982, so before we were born, yay. Ooh. <laughs> forest bathing is older than us. <laughs> well, it has been around for a really long time. Like, it's mm. not a new concept. Like, you, there are things from – recorded in the 1600s of people talking about being out in nature like Mm. um, philosophers and things like that so it's not a new term but it's certainly or a new concept but it's certainly yeah that's right yeah Yeah. I guess like I I had a bit of a look in journals just because I did want to see like the medical side of forest bathing before we get into the how to do it and the other side of it forest medicine is a new term Mm-hmm. In medicine, it's something that kind of incorporates alternative medicine, environmental medicine, and is considered a preventative medicine in some ah, places. Cool. So Japan in particular is one of those countries that have run with this term mm. and and see it as being important for supporting the mental health of and the physical health of people that live there yeah. um, and other countries that are coming on board. That's cool. In the scientific literature, it shows that forest bathing can benefit people with their immune system, the cardiovascular system, respiratory system, depression and anxiety, and mental relaxation. So it's kind of like a really all-round activity that can help you in many different aspects of your life. Hmm. Forest bathing is essentially immersing yourself in nature and using all your senses. Ah, okay. Yes. And you're doing it mindfully. Like you're really paying attention to how your senses are interacting within that nature. It's not meditation. Like I guess mindfulness could be seen as a kind of meditation, but it's not letting go. It's about being present and communicating with everything that's around you as being in that space. Often involves Forest walks, and I don't mean like you know walking hiking. through the forest. Yeah, yeah no, no, not hiking. Right, but like, the opposite of hiking. Almost. <laughs> slow walks. <laughs> you may not go far. <laughs> I know that um they have walking meditation is something that a few of the meditation gurus, especially more recently, they talk about walking meditation, and it's 
you take a step and you feel each part of your foot going onto the ground That's and right. you're very connected to just the movement of walking. So I suppose it's much the same as that when, when you're walking and doing this. It would be something like that. Similar, yeah, yeah, but it's about the natural environment. environment more yeah. than yourself. Yeah, That's that right. makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Like you're part of it but there's yep. a broader picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of the theories for the health benefits is that um, spending time in nature helps restore your concentration because of the um, effortless attention you are taking in that environment or making in that environment. And it reduces your stress, which then has an onflow of things like blood pressure and heart rate, can help um, regulate your emotions because it's soothing and calming, which may like if you have a bit of a, if you're going through a bad time, maybe you have a higher state of fear or anxiety or, you know, even like if you have a really strong drive to get things done, just coming into nature and calming that all down is is some ways that it can help you do that and who at the moment doesn't have a heightened state of anxiety (laughs) about the world in general most people i say would probably have some level of anxiety just at this second in in existence so yeah exactly Mm. one of the articles i read the one by cortero richardson and sheffield from spring of 2020 I'll put that in the show notes pointed out that you know humans have been around for like seven million years and 99.9% of our lives have been spent outdoors. It's really only in the shorter period of time that we've been more in you know, urban environments and that kind of thing. So they were making the connection with how because we have grown in these environments, these environments have interactions with us mm. and our health in that way. So one of the studies also found that just spending 90, just a 90-minute walk in nature can reduce negative, repetitive thoughts. Oh, wow. That's not very long. No, not and at all. one off, like a one time or? Yeah, so that there's benefits that can go over like a week or up to four weeks depending on the kinds oh, of activities you, you do. Have, but I meant you have to only go and do it once to start getting oh, benefits. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, 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 wow, yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you get benefits straight away. So there's some studies wow. in in Japan where they take like um, saliva swabs and they're checking uh, they're checking something, cortisol levels. They're checking ah. cortisol levels. Ah. And they find that people that at the start have much higher cortisol levels compared to when they leave. So like, you wow. know, there's like these like little correlations that exist that show that it, there are benefits. But mm. because it's such a new science and some of the studies are a little bit flawed in their um, – creating um uh i want to say test groups that's not what i mean they're like samples samples sizes are a bit small and things Uh, like that so you know so there's some things that just representative not enough that needs to be more done but there is definitely when you look at all the systematic reviews that exist out there where they've looked at all the literature there is a connection and they can see it there's a correlation there there's something happening something important going on that's yeah mm. yeah so like um they're saying that the effects on cortisol levels can last two to four weeks after just being in the forest and doing the wow the thing so you know like it actually makes if you could get out just once a fortnight that could be of great benefit to you for the whole fortnight that's incredible um and they and they're finding that um immune function improvement in your immune function can last from anywhere from seven days to thirty days. So like, you know, even if it was once a week it's Well seven days is a minimum, that's in it. That's that's a lot. Like that's a long time. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I know there has been not so much 
study, but well, possibly yes, but like the <laughs> nature deficit disorder, as it's called, especially in children, like that's that's something that's been talked about for a little while now, and this is just following on from that. And mm-hmm. ninety minutes is not a long time to 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 combat that. No, no, ninety minutes every two weeks. Yeah, I yeah. hope a lot of most people could. At least try to, to do that. And it's not yeah. even like um, it's not rigorous walking. It's just go find a nice trail that's easy mm. to walk. Do, you, do and... you have to walk? No. Because when I, when I thought about this forest bathing, I thought you just went and basically sat down and like meditated. No. So it's you don't not have actually to. meditation. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you sat and you were mindful in that environment. Yeah. So I'll go through some some mm-hmm. of those things in a few few cool, minutes. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was some – so we're talking about the five senses that are involved mm-hmm. and some of the studies talked about how they think that the visual forest stimulus might be what is most important for cortisol reduction. So it doesn't – they they said that there was some there was one study done where they used a virtual reality forest and oh, they wow. saw a reduction in stress. Oh, not a big like it wasn't a not huge reduction, big, and it's a yeah. very small pilot study at the moment. But okay. they did see a reduction, so it's actually like the visual part of it is actually really important. So ah. so that's something to keep in mind. They think it's yes. like to do with the greenery and that kind of thing. Well, so there are those books that you're supposed to use when you're studying, and they have the green on the inside because it's supposed to be so relaxing. So you look at that while you know, you close your notebook and look at the front cover that has the green on it to help you relax. So, and maybe it could yeah. be as a result of the forest and us being, yeah, yeah from, mm. from that makes sense. environment there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was from the Antonelli paper, which I'll put in the uh, in the show notes as well. See, Liz has done research. <laughs> I can't help it. I just read some blogs. <laughs> I'm a librarian. <laughs> She's an academic librarian. <laughs> With a science degree. I'm, I'm a vocational <laughs> education librarian who goes, oh, my God, what's the easiest thing to do? You can tell who, what kind of institutions we're both from. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so smell as well. So forests oh. have volative compounds. Yep. Uh, so um, and certain plants give off certain types of, uh, I'm just going to call them VOCs from now on, vox. Um and so, and all those vox have different effects on our body. Um, so, for example, um, limonene and pine can do stuff with us to do with antioxidants and anti-inflammatory effects on our airways. Wow. Um, there are terpenes absorbed through um, inhalation, um, which can help promote brain function and reduce mental fatigue and increase cognitive performance and mood just being out in the forest as well like that they found that the scent stuff had less of an impact than the visual stuff but it was still important okay is that the same kind of stuff as you know people say they love the smell of books it could be um but it would carry some of the those kinds of compounds from the trees it could be i'm not sure Mm. the science behind that but yeah it could be i don't either i didn't know that connection interesting (laughs) i mean i don't know what kind of compounds are in that like what kind of whether there are terpenes or you know that kind of thing i'm not sure one of the first ones you said Uh, limonene yes i have heard of that in connection to the book smell oh okay that makes sense it might be and that's really popular in conifer forests and things like that so that's one of the scents that they give off so conifer Mm. forests if you can 
get into those kinds of forests. That's that's actually one that's really good for your mood and stuff like that. So again, different trees, different things. Oh, allergies, okay. oh. allergies play a part. Yes, be careful. <laughs> Don't go well. and sniff things that you're allergic to or could be allergic to. Do a spot check. Go and sniff a little bit of a tree before you go in. That might, like, seriously, I have allergies to some of this stuff. It would make the forest walk awful. I couldn't forest bathe in some places. Um, so one of the things that I saw was that biogenic uh, volative organic compounds, Vox, um, they peak twice a day, early mornings oh. and in the afternoon. So, like, the time of day that you go out could matter if you're really looking oh. for the peak time to be out there. Or you might not have as much time. That's right. So you go at the peak time. That's right. That could make a difference. But there's no actual studies to show that that actually makes a difference. Like there haven't oh. been any studies done on that. So if you're yes. looking for all that I found, yep. let me rephrase that, that I found. Um, so if you are looking to do a, I don't know, some kind of a PhD. PhD in something, this might be what you want to do it on. And then tell us because we'll actually read it. <laughs> yes, I will. I totally will. Yeah, um, I didn't look too much into Australian trees. I had a little bit of look, a little bit of a look into eucalyptus, but that was more around allergies that it yeah. came up. So, uh, and less about the actual forest bathing side of things. So, yeah, I can't say that it's a big thing here. Forest bathing. At all. I've seen some, like, I think I've heard of a place in Melbourne that was doing it before COVID. Like, you could go out somewhere sure. there and do it, but that's that's all. Like, it's not something. I've heard it in connection to Japan a lot. Yeah, yeah, but not so much here. So, so. a little bit later, I'll be talking about. Oh, oh, now I can talk about. Talk about it now. So there's a book that I read. This is what got me started on forest bathing, called "Your Guide to Forest Bathing" by M. Amos Clifford, and they were the founder of the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programs, Ooh. and they actually have a website that lists um, all the different. Uh, guided tours that you can do with forest bathing and they suggest it because it's got some they will guide you through like activities that you can do and that kind of thing so um there is one in western australia so that's a worldwide thing the guide uh so they're training guides all over the world um and then whether they go on and have guided tours is up to them and when i looked on their website there was only one listed in australia and that was western australia but yes it is worldwide yeah 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 and I'm sure there are people that aren't with this association that do it as well. So, yeah. yeah. I guess the thing to remember, so everything I'm talking about now is pretty much from from Clifford's book mm-hmm. and I highly recommend reading it. I'm not going to take you through all his techniques. He's got lots in there. So if you want to know more, do try and get a copy of this. Like maybe your library has it um, if you don't want to buy it. So one of the things he says is that the point of forest bathing is to be connecting to nature. We're part of the web. We're part of the environment. We are part of the connection to everything. And sometimes we forget that living our lives and that kind of thing. And our little house boxes. <laughs> house boxes. My little esky. <laughs> it's not something that you can develop quickly. Like you have to oh, actually put the yep. time in to do mm-hmm. it. Like you can't just. It's an it's a skill, so um, oh, okay. so you're actually trying to use all your senses, which you're not used to using in that way, mm-hmm. and and you're trying to also develop a relationship with the environment around you, and that takes time, like like human relationships, mm-hmm. they all take time. It's mindfulness in nature. It's not actual meditation in the mm-hmm. traditional sense. So. Yep. And it's not hiking, as I mentioned before. It's leisure walking, and you might not walk far. It's slow and relaxed. 
in one case you said they walked around a tree, a single tree in one of the things oh, wow. that they did. So so he makes it sound like you have to walk. It's, I would say you don't have to. And certainly if you're not able-bodied, you're yeah, not going, that's where to, I was going. Yeah. to lose anything if you're not walking. In Japan, they actually do have set up for people who are in wheelchairs and things like oh, that. Cool. So yeah. a slow wheel through the forest is what they have through the canopies. So Okay. Yeah. But, like, you don't have to walk. It's just yeah. one of the things that they encourage because I'll tell you a little bit more, but they're asking you to invite different things from nature to interact with you as you're oh, going okay. through the process. So it would be beneficial to be able to walk, but if you can't, it's not you can necessary. still interact. And That's you right. You can still do this process. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Okay. So what we're trying to do is to invite us to receive things using our senses. We're trying to get our senses to welcome the gifts of the forest, what it has to offer us, the sights, the sounds, the energies, um, and we're receiving it as a form of communication. So you're communing with the forest. This guy isn't a pagan, is he? Are you sure? Uh, <laughs> it sounds very he, pagan. <laughs> I have to say when you when I'm going to go through, he has like a ritual that you do. Oh, wow. And it's very pagan. It's just without the circle. It's quite amazing. There's even like tea in it as well it's amazing so he's a closet pagan <laughs> he's <laughs> in the witch's collars he might not know he's pagan yeah. as we said people can sometimes be witches and not really realize <laughs> and that's not derogatory in any way <laughs> we certainly don't think that no <laughs> and again and remember it's a relationship so we're not just taking so we have to also give something back as well so mm-hmm. it's not just us going out there and saying give me all your goodness to make me feel better we yeah, yeah we belong there it's a relationship yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so he has some guidelines um if anyone has the book it's on page 44 it's to be guided by invitations so um invitations is kind of like following um the forest i may have got a little bit uh <laughs> a little bit lazy in my notes and didn't write that down <laughs> but you know you're you're there and you're trying to look you're not trying to look you're not trying to do anything you're just existing in the space but there are things that you'll notice and maybe go look at what that thing is you know that kind of thing so almost following intuition with it yeah almost it's like listening it's yeah. like listening to or seeing what where your attention goes yeah yeah. So, for example, if you saw like you're walking down a track, you see a flower, and you don't know what it is. Yeah. So you go go there and look at it. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. That could be what or, what what feels yeah. like an invitation to you to go and. Um, so you're waiting to get like an invitation from something. It's not just something you feel. It's it could be both. Because you've got to remember it's all your senses. It's Mm. not just sight or hear or it could Mm. be feel or it could Mm be uh, so internal and and that kind of thing. I did actually write down all those senses. So your senses are touch, taste, smell, hear, see, which we're all aware of. Mm. Proprioception. I said that wrong. Proprioception. Maybe I spelled that wrong. What you feel in your body space. So it's kind of like it's – what you feel your body is like within the space of the forest. Okay. So it's like the outside sort of things that are going awareness. So kind of like one of the things we do when we're meditating sometimes is like you might be might be in your room mm-hmm. and then you like expand your awareness to your house and then mm-hmm. you expand your awareness to the tree to the 
street and then to the town and then you know yep, all the way yep, to the yep. planet so it's kind of like that it's like filling your where your body fits in that space okay that um, makes sense yes 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 oh yeah interoception which is awareness of internal functions so like your hunger your health that kind of thing is another one that you will use in that space your allergies <laughs> your allergies <laughs> yeah i'm so annoyed there Mirror sensing. So this is like responding to motion in the environment. So it might be that you um, might see a bird flying and then you feel how that feels within your body. So the sensation of flight. It could be, yes. Or, Trees know. rustling in the in the leaves. You might look at that and say, oh, I really feel that in my, like, solar plexus for example you know okay it's like feeling the way that the external it's like mirroring what you see within your internal self but through your own interpretation that's right yeah yeah okay yeah that makes sense that's that's cool yeah Yeah. well that's my interpretation of what he wrote so (laughs) yeah um there's body radar so it's kind of like it's like a knowing it's like um detecting sources that beckon us so that's kind of like what the invitation is it's like the Uh, okay yeah so so you, you make choices based on environmental cues. There's uh, imaginal, imaginal, imaginal sensing where it's like you listen to the trees and you hear what they say. So I don't know if you've ever had a tree speak to you. As directly as I think you're going to talk about, but... Not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean... They, they, so he talked about some of people's experiences is like hearing an internal voice. Um, some people might hear it auditory, but like... So I remember once while I was sitting with a friend up at Hearts Mountains at the lake there and they were talking about how something was really difficult in their life mm-hmm. and the, the tree that was there with us spoke to me. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. It was eavesdropping. <laughs> and pretty much this tree is really old. It's really fragile to fire. And there's not many left in that space. Mm-hmm. And what this tree said was in the grand scheme of the way things, the way life moves and the way time moves, this is a really small moment and you don't need to worry about it, essentially. I relayed that message to my friend who probably thought I was weird. <laughs> I think it's really good advice. <laughs> Um, and, and I, and that relation, like that tree, I've actually, I have felt a connection with from the first time I went up there and every time mm. I go up there, I say hello and that kind of thing. So I guess I developed that relationship, but that's the kind of thing that this imaginal sensing is talking about. And then there's also the heart sense. So the felt sense of the present moment, feeling into the heart space. So a lot of the energy I feel comes from my heart area mm-hmm. and, when I'm interacting with things, that's where I feel things a lot, and I think that that's what that refers to. At least that was my interpretation of it. So one of the things to do is when you're using your senses is to actually kind of name it, like name it out loud. Okay. Don't have to like scream it, but like maybe yeah. just say really quietly or internally, mm. I am noticing something. And then open up your heart and kind of share in that moment, be it with a tree or a stone or a forest. Like maybe you'll pick up a stone and say, I notice the warmth on my skin. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's how you move around the space. So they're kind of where you see the invitations. He says, don't leave a trace. Obviously, you don't want to leave the environment worse than when you got there. That would be terrible. 
this person says. Like they <laughs> they, they say. say. <laughs> Notice what's around you um, and then say, like, verbalize it again. Like, say, here's a tree which has shared shade with mm. me and say, offer it something. Maybe it's a song or maybe it's a gift of some kind. Mm. You know, so maybe you want to give a drink of water to the tree, that kind yeah. of thing, and to be grateful for what it has provided to you. The steps to forest bathing. Steps to forest bathing. One, firm intention to forest bathe. So go to the edge of the forest where we're about to enter or a threshold of some kind and set your intention, much like the herb thing. You mm. set your intention. Yeah. Two, begin the threshold ceremonially, making the marking the start of the forest bathing. So maybe you step over a branch or maybe you step between two trees that are like a liminal space. Three, stay in one place for 15 minutes and explore the here and now, scanning with your senses. Okay. Yep. Step four, walk slowly for 20 minutes, noticing what's in motion. Notice what you're noticing. So I am noticing blah. Yeah. And say it out loud or yeah. know, actually verbalize. Yeah. Yeah. Externally or internally. It helps you stay in the moment, I yeah. think, is kind of what the point of it is. Yeah. Next is infinite possibilities. So find the invitations. You may say out loud, I am a fallen tree, walk on me. Like have a real childlike play while you're ah, out there. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And spend and he says, do that for like two hours. You don't have to, of course. No. no. I was but... just thinking, like, <laughs> if the two hours is a barrier for you, don't do it for two hours. Like as I said before, like 90 minutes. Yeah. Every two weeks you don't need to do no. this for hours and hours. No. I would say even five minutes if you can be intentional. Yes. But yes. So. Yes. So he's saying forest bathe, uh, forest bathe. He's saying, you know, inf- look for the infinite possibilities in the forest for a few hours. And, again, you're not walking far. You're not, like, hiking. You're just mm. ambling along. Yeah. So the trail needs to be relatively free from snags and stuff like that. And then towards the end of the walk, he, he says to sit and just notice. And that's about 20 minutes that you do that, just sit noticing things. It might be a flower. It might be, you know, something like that. Then have tea ceremony. And I've written here, oh, similar to cakes and ale. So mm. he talks about, like, if you know the environment and you know what's edible, maybe you could pick some herbs and and make a tea in that space and partake in it in the forest. Obviously, I'm not that skilled. I would no. not be doing that. I would be taking something with me, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing. But I, I can kind of see it as being like a you're tra- starting to transition out of the process. You're starting to ground yourself from yeah. what you've been doing and you're starting to, you know, the same things that you do cakes and ale for in yeah. a ritual practice. And then the last thing to do is to then cross over the threshold again and officially end what you're doing. So it's a ritual. It's totally a ritual. It's a ritual with our circle. Yeah. It's a long ritual. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it goes for but, like three hours. Yeah. But, but I mean, you, you you don't, and you don't, I would think to, if you're looking at it purely from benefits, you wouldn't have to do all of that every single time or even for all of that time. The point is to go out and be intentional with your noticing of what is happening. So I've done it. I've done a, I've done variations of this twice. I haven't done the full Three hours? Yeah, I haven't, and I haven't done, like, I did the intention. So, um, Hannah knows where a place by the river that I go. And I got to the the path where you start to walk into the rock area. Yep. And I set the intention. I walked in, I sat at the river. I actually had a gift to give the river. 
But I sat there and I did the process of like noticing things. And like at one stage, this fish came like flying <laughs> past me and just went into the shallows of the water and just sat there. And, and I was noticing this fish. Yeah. It was so silly, but I just noticing this fish and, and I felt like this real euphoria, like yeah. sort of turn you up. noticed it. Yeah. And it was right there with you while yeah. you did this. Yeah, we are both hanging out while yeah. I was forest bathing or water bathing in this case. Um, and he does. He talks about the different kinds like water and earth and air mm. and and This fire. person's totally a bathing. <laughs> they've got to be in some some form. Maybe they, in a formal life. They've done lots of Zen meditation so that oh, it could be the okay. influence, which yeah. is why they're – so that was really interesting. He says don't look for euphoria. It's not a euphoric – thing that okay. you're doing but that might happen or maybe you'll be doing it and you really connect with the environment and see how sick it is from yeah. all of the human interaction so maybe you'll leave feeling sad but he's like that's just because you're noticing and you're opening yeah. yourself up to it it's more about noticing than trying to find yeah you a euphoric or good feeling it's just noticing whatever is there and the other time i did it i was having a particularly uh, challenging day i had cried a lot and I had to – I was at the block um, where my land and I went for a walk into the bush, which you could not do slowly because there are lots of trees and you have to bush bash to get into a path to sit. But I found a place to sit and I sat mm. there and I started noticing things and sitting with the trees and then I felt compelled to start chanting and singing to the trees. and. Yeah to the ancestors and to the gods and to the land spirits, to everything. So it was um, – and I left feeling really good. So like mm. – and that was not <laughs> – it was not two hours. It was like 20 minutes at most. Yeah. So, you know, it's from worth what, a lot of practice. From what you've said and I'm thinking about it from like a, the more pagan perspective, I, I think the only thing that I would – say to do every time is if you actually go even spontaneously mm. like you did have something even if it's just again like you did a, a song or mm. you know something it's giving any material as as that but mm. yeah have something always up your sleeve that you can give mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen mm -hmm. so yes we say like i'm thinking a lot of those r rules or guidelines like you could have a good experience or a productive experience without doing a lot of those things if, if you couldn't or didn't have time, except definitely have something you can give back because I feel like I might go without saying for a lot of people, like a lot of pagans listening, but, yeah, have something you can give back. Mm -hmm. Even if, yeah, it's not planned and you just sort of go out like you did, you feel you need this, but you've got to have something to that would be my only rule with it. Have something you can offer. And a song's mm. so easy. Yeah. You know, like. Or it, no song. Like you can hum. You yeah. You don't have to like have words if you don't, if that's not your thing. And you don't have to do it out loud if you don't want to. And maybe like something like um, maybe you've made up some moon water and you offer that to the to the tree or. Or you just have some water in your water bottle like most people carry one now. Yeah. So it just, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be big, but it just has to be something. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's a give and receive. It's not a take relationship. So yeah, yeah. it's a relationship. Yeah, and I think if you ever if you're having trouble connecting to space and the the spirits of place, mm. this would be where to start. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to be in a forest, like they say, away from distractions. And obviously, the benefits of the compounds in nature are probably going to be less in a garden. But you know, like you could still do the it. benefits yeah. are still there. Yeah, like if that's the only place you can get to. Yeah, 
do it rather than not do it yeah. altogether. Yeah. I mean, you can, like my topic, you could have the plant there in a pot and you probably still get some benefits by just sitting with it and trying this process yeah. modified yeah. With, with your pot plant. Yeah. So if that's all you got yeah, and if that's all you can get to, like mobility issues, do that. Yeah. Do, do that instead. Well, like that one pilot that they've done showed that yeah. there was possibly a link with virtual reality and sight being more important to the forest than anything yeah. else. So, you know. so work with what you've got, like just yeah. because you can't do everything exactly as it's written down. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, who does that? Do you ever do that? I don't think I, I'd like to be able to spend three hours doing this whole process. That would be great. Yeah. But, you know, often you just can't. And you probably have to build up to it as well. Like That's a long time, even when it said, like, spend 15 minutes just noticing standing there it's like that that's a long time for a beginner just to stand there and go i notice things i find that hard to start with i think that's Mm. where the guided stuff can come in really Mm. helpful like there's so many things i haven't talked about in here there's just like it's It's a little book like it's small but it's got 160 quite a few pages pages yeah but it has things like invitations for water and blessings Mm. and like sitting by this person's a pagan and and just like like scent tracking, like just following smells, like you know, it's about the yeah. five senses, yeah. really, in that way as well. So, honestly, just just do what you can, where you can, mm. how you can. He says, ideally, do it away from distractions like technology and cars and things yeah. like that. But maybe you don't have that option, and who cares? Like, do do yeah, it'll do s- something, and it'll still be of benefit to you yeah. to do this. Yeah. yeah. So that's forest bathing. That's really interesting. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, yeah. I like forest bathing. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah, something I'll incorporate more of for sure. Well, okay. I think that might be it. Hey. Yes, we both talked a lot, and I think I've liked both of our topics. I've, I've liked, liked both of our topics. I liked how related they were. I liked having you back. Yeah, there's that too. I'm very <laughs> happy to be back. <laughs> and I'm ho- I hope you, you, Liz, has kept you company while i've been gone and looked <laughs> uh, after you all i hope i didn't bore you all because it's so hard doing it on your own yeah there's not as much like just interaction yeah and the people who do podcasts on their own I, I admire them greatly especially there's quite a few that i listen to and they're quite engaging but it will be hard to sit down and some of these people do them weekly and just talk talking about plans we were thinking about doing some episodes on folklore we were Myths yes. and legends. Myths and legends and uh, potentially doing it inebriated. Um, so if that's something that you think <laughs> <laughs> would entertain you. I, I got inebriated and anemic mixed up when you said it and I was like, what are we doing? What, why are we iron deficient? Yeah, what, what are we doing? Oh, my God. Oh, no, inebriated. No, drunk. Yeah, okay, drunk. Yeah. Drunk myths and legends. Yeah, that's kind mm. of what we're, we're We're going to have storytelling sessions basically. Yeah, and mm. we, we figure like anyone can read up the myths. Um, mm. So we're just going to try and, I guess, casualize it a little bit. And just have some fun telling stories fun yay yeah yeah I was I did have some time at different points when I should have been studying to listen <laughs> to a few podcasts that I I really enjoy and the ones I found I enjoyed the most were yes informative ones mm-hmm. like information and ones that told basically just told stories mm-hmm. and stories just on, on just about anything mm-hmm. yes I liked supernatural and myths and legends Particularly, but I thought, yeah, like the, the, the chance to tell some stories, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So mm. 
So that's something that's in the works. And if that interests you, let us know because, like, yes. that'll that'll encourage us yes, to get started. Um, and you know where to find us. You know we're on Instagram at uh, witchy.bites. We're on Facebook, um, witchybites podcast, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And then we do have a Twitter, but we really don't use it. But, you know, feel free to reach out there. We'll get the notification. And yep. you can always email us at witchy.bites at outlook.com. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a wrap. That's that's it. And we'll catch you with the next one. Number 20. Number 20. Our podcast's almost an adult in the US. I was going to say in Australia it's an adult already. I know. I, I can I drink. Really All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.